0: Hey guys, and welcome to the GROW podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm Ashley, your host through the monthly grain segment of the podcast, brought to you by the Landis Grow Solutions Center. The next guest on today's episode is Brandon Finky, who is the animal nutrition lead and works with the Ralston Soy Processing Plant. Brandon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me today, excited to be here.
0: All right, so go ahead and tell us about yourself and what you do here for Landis.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, like most of us at Landis, I do have a farm background. Uh, a little different. I grew dairy farm kid from Wisconsin. Dairy farm for a while after college. Actually, chose to exit that industry uh, in 2014 and started to do some other things. Uh, part of my my journey started off in a feed ingredients company uh, that was also from Iowa. So, for some reason, um, I was drawn to Iowa. From it's the first,
0: right place, man.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a hidden gem. It really, it really is. <laughs> especially, uh, the area we reside in that Urbandale lucky area. It's a, it's a real great area. So couldn't be happier to be here from there. Uh, ended up joining Landis in, it was actually West central for a short period of time. I joined about August, 2015 and started actually working, um, the Northeast United States and Eastern Canada for the, uh, animal nutrition division, selling the actual products, uh, into those regions, working with the customer base out there. Part of that, uh, what landed me at West Central, which quickly became Landis, was we were relocating to Canada at the time. So I got to live up there and and experience that dairy market and uh their agricultural uh entities out there. The prairies of of Canada are gorgeous, can mm-hmm. remind me a little bit of Iowa. So um yeah, heavy agricultural background. And then recently uh got to take the helm of leading the Animal Nutrition Group, which is uh Incredible honor. Great group of people that work there. We're we're excited about the future there. uh, What's to come?
0: Awesome. Well, this podcast, especially this segment of the podcast is focused entirely on grain, right? And I wanted to bring our listeners kind of a a different perspective of grain demand for feed. And so I want to start by diving into our Ralston soy production facility. I feel like some of our growers probably don't even know that we honestly have this facility. You know, if they're on our Eastern trade territory or for sure our Northern territory, maybe they don't even know what we do there. So if you could, you know, give us just some specs, right? Like what is our daily grind of this facility and and really what's the importance of it to our customers?
1: Yeah. So what people probably don't know is West Central was grinding soybeans since the 1940s.
0: Oh, I did not know that.
1: Yeah. It's a long, long history. So the Ralston facility itself, before we kind of dive into the demand and the grind there, um, we make a kind of a unique product there. It's a mechanical processing facility. It's the largest mechanical processing facility for sure in the United States. Uh, for soybeans probably in the world and we make a product for dairy cows specifically designed for for dairy cows i'm not going to give you a nutrition lesson because that's <laughs> just going to bore everybody because we're here to talk about grain but it was the late 80s early 90s when some philosophies in the dairy industry and how we fed cows started to change so there's a partnership with the university of wisconsin that we leveraged with some very creative people atlantis at the time true innovators truly and we discovered that this meal really had a great fit for feeding dairy cows and that demand has only continued to grow, how we fed dairy cows in this country, how we've gotten more efficient. I'm sure a lot of your grain growers are also pig farmers. And so they understand how their production systems have changed. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the dairy industry. So that meal had a great fit. And so we've expanded the facility a couple times. Um, we used to just manufacture at the old Ralston feed mill, which no longer exists. It's just a concrete slab today. Put up the first segment of that Ralston facility in 1992, expanded it, doubled it in 97, and then added a third production line in 2016. So we've continued to grow as demands continued to grow. With that, um, in that Ralston area, we draw in this year we're on pace to crush 25 million bushels of beans. Compare that to five, six years ago, we were crushing about half of
0: that. That's awesome. I mean, that's just to say that again, because I feel like maybe that's not going to sit in because you said it really quickly. 25 million bushels of beans.
1: Correct. That's, I and mean, we grind 75,000 bushels a day there. Gotcha. Um, and that's a credit to that production team and the efficiencies they've been able to gain. And I mean, to put it in context, Landis will originate, I think, about 50 million bushels of soybeans every year, and half of those are going to end up at that Ralston production facility. So, you know, from a grain perspective, it's tremendous for our growers because mm-hmm. it offers a strong basis there locally. We're taking those beans, we're turning it into something value-added, yeah. uh, especially in the dairy industry. So it that facility has grown. Uh, we continue to find more efficiencies, continue to find ways to make that that facility better, and, and grind more beans, which just creates a additional demand for for our, our growers.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's awesome. I actually got the first opportunity. I've been with Landis for about three years, and this summer um, at one of our events, I actually got the first look at at how that facility operates, um, which I think was a great tribute to some of the events that we put on this summer, right. To give those farmers that are willing to, to come with us to different events, you'd like an inside look at that facility. I mean, that was awesome. One as a grain buyer, I was kind of like geeking out, but a lot of the farmers really enjoyed it. So kind of moving on into my next question, um, as far as a product standpoint, you know, what is the most valuable product that comes from the soy production facility and you know i know we've had some changes over the years so like how how has that product continued to change and evolve over the years
1: sure so obviously we're taking in soybeans Uh, our output's a little different from a hexane facility we're just having meal and oil come off our process A hexane facility will have meal hulls and oil so for years the most valuable thing that came off that line and still is is true today is the meal side of things that that is specifically designed for dairy cows, we call it. It's a high bypass meal, again, eschewing the nutrition discussion here. <laughs> so where that product is really grown and where we've made our name is the consistency of that product. Everything Kevin Grenmeier, I need to call him out, <laughs> uh, that he and his team do at that facility that leads the consistency of that meal is the most incredible thing in the industry that we're known for today. In dairy farming, we always say there's three C's, comfort, cooling, and consistency. And that is for everything that a cow experiences in her day. Consistency of feed stuffs is obviously a big one. So what they do there and why this meal continues to see more demand. A couple reasons. One is more and more cows being fed uh, in a more efficient manner that calls for an ingredient like soy plus, which is our branded product that comes out of there. Uh, The second reason is the consistency of our product. There's a lot of what we like to term small local crushers. There's 38 presses in that plant today. Uh, There's a lot of three and six press operations across the country that'll set up in kind of a dairy pocket, dairy shed, where there's some beans, and they'll try and replicate what we do. Uh, Because what we do isn't a huge secret, Mm -hmm. isn't that complicated, but it is. It's half art, it's half science. What we've always told people that maybe have come to us and said, "Hey." You know, we'd like to partner with you, do something like that. And like, well, I could give you the blueprints, but you're never gonna make our product because yeah. it is is that human touch, that mm-hmm. that people that handle it there. So that consistency of that ingredient, everything that's done there to make that meal the most consistent, it shows up. In fact, one of the things we're really proud of is when universities do dairy nutrition research, their bypass protein source, nine times out of ten, is always soy plus because oh, it's awesome. consistent it eliminates one more variable in their study, whether Mm -hmm. it's just part of the overall ration or whether it's an actual variable they're testing. So have we made a lot of changes to the product over the years? No, Um, the product itself has spoken for itself and that demand just continues to grow because of other factors. If you look at our demand, it's got a bit of a hockey stick, if you were to graph it out. Mm -hmm. And myself and I know my team, we're very bullish on the demand for bypass protein for dairy cows in this country. Part of that is the consolidation of the industry. As more cows get on larger dairies, they're more likely to use a product like ours. And the other success that we have is our customer service team and our logistics teams. We're a known, trusted supplier in the market. We do what we say we're going to do. We deliver the product to our customers in a a timely manner. The other product that comes off, which is where this whole industry is being shaken up right now, Mm -hmm. and it's it's an exciting time, is the oil coming off that years ago you were happy to find a home for your oil it was it was truly a byproduct of mm-hmm. soybean processing today it's becoming more and more valuable as you look at margin structure you know for for my side of things i don't care if soybeans are 4 dollars a bushel or 20 dollars a bushel your farmer obviously cares about yeah. that I care about crush margin, okay. and that is what am I buying the beans for? What am I selling the oil for? What am I selling the meal for? Mm-hmm. As long as there's a good margin in there, we're, we're happy in the soy center. Yeah, Obviously, the farmer getting a good bean price is, is important, and that that basis factor, Ralston, we talked about earlier, that draw, that demand is great. But the oil side of things now, that's, that's where the whole industry is starting to be tipped on its head a little bit, and, and we'll certainly dive into that a little bit more. But it's gone from happy to have a home for your oil, to now <laughs> it's the best thing to be able to sell. We uh, that's, that's creating opportunities in the industry, and um, we'll, we'll certainly look to capture those at Ralston.
0: Awesome. Well, I mean, this honestly leads us into my next question that I have for you, right? Is how does Landis expect this facility to grow? And, and certainly based on what we've just been talking about, probably the second side of that is the oil, you know, and just different biodiesel demands and things like that. You know, one thing that I feel like is consistent in the news and in different grain talks is jet fuel. You know, I've had a couple of farmers ask me like, what the heck is this biodiesel jet fuel that's happening? So talk to me a little bit about that and, and anything else you kind of see coming down the pipeline.
1: Yeah, it, it's like you said, it's a great question and it's something our farmers need to have the, their eye on because it's going to affect the way, the way they do business. In fact, I, I talked to a farmer probably a year ago when this was really starting to get going and he asked me, so I probably should figure out how to put beans on beans on beans on beans. <laughs> like you might want want to get to that point. <laughs> So where all this started from really was our good friends out in California, CARB, the California Air and Resources Board. And for years, uh, there's a company called uh, Diamond Green. They're owned by Valero. They were making renewable diesel. And there's an important distinction between renewable diesel and biodiesel.
0: Okay.
1: Biodiesel, you know, there's a biodiesel facility pretty much attached to the Ralston facility. There's a whole history there for somebody who wants that lesson someday. That makes biodiesel. That can be blended at 10 to 20% of diesel fuel, depending on winter versus summer. Renewable diesel replaces diesel fuel one for one. Gotcha. Um, the big oil companies are converting old gas crackers into renewable diesel plants because uh, chemically the process is very much the same. So with that, California incentivized companies to make renewable diesel diamond green Uh, There's a vertically integrated model. There's many sources you can use to take animal fats, vegetable oils, and turn it into renewable diesel. Diamond Green had their own vertically integrated model where they were using animal fat from rendering companies. They were making their one quarter recently, I think they were $3.50 per gallon EBITDA making renewable diesel. They were making more... Per gallon EBITDA, then you could buy diesel fuel at the pump. That was obviously pre-Ukraine. The problem with that was they're owned by Valero. Valero is a publicly traded company. All of a sudden, everybody starts looking at the SEC filings and going, why are these people making so much money? Yeah. So the boom, (laughs) the boom, and the race was on. And so you had P66, Exxon, Chevron, you name it, they're like, we need to get into this game. Mm -hmm. One cynically could allege there's a little bit of greenwashing going on that Chevron they really have no intention uh, they really don't care is it profitable it, it, we'll see uh, today it is and two is it just a great story for their investors that hey we're divesting away from fossil yeah. fuels yep. now we, we all have to be reasonable when we talk about renewables that it's it's a path forward it continues to carry a bigger and bigger uh, percentage of our fuel stocks in this country but we're a long way away from ever divesting from fossil fuels we we need to have that honest conversation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but what it does create for the farmer is a tremendous opportunity because now you're going to see demand for soybean oil come into play so the jacobson hosts a renewable fuels conference every year i attended it this last august and it was we all kind of sat and chuckled because it was strange (laughs) dance partners i sat down with p66 i sat down with exxon I sat down with Holly Frontier, who's kind of a mid-player, mid, mid player, and they're talking to agriculture people. Yeah. And now we've seen Chevron and Bungie partner. We've seen Marathon and ADM partner. We've seen P66 and, and Shell Rock have a, have a dynamic there as they're trying to secure feedstocks to feed this uh, renewable diesel boom. Where the caution comes in, and where it gets to the jet fuel thing, what I think people miss is renewable diesel fuel the only state that incentivizes it today is california gotcha. there is going to be 10 times the amount of renewable diesel fuel produced than california consumes yeah. now washington oregon british columbia are looking at programs i think new york and connecticut are there it's going to be on the coast right this heavy populated mm-hmm. areas they're really seeking to do things renewable diesel is a gateway to jet fuel because if you turn soybean oil or fat tallow into renewable diesel, you can take it one step further and make renewable jet fuel from from those feedstocks. That is the end game. We know that we can never put enough batteries to have a, a, a battery powered plane or mm-hmm. locomotive. So as we look for green solutions is that that movement happens regardless of your belief on it, that train is coming. We've mm-hmm. seen we've seen Tesla, We've seen the electrical vehicle movement happen. The most efficient best way is to get these feedstocks and these renewables into locomotives and jets that that's going to have the biggest bang for your buck. When you talk about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So from that standpoint, it creates a tremendous demand for soybean oil. It's going to create a tremendous demand for all oils. We've seen, I'm sure your farmers are aware if you're picking up a newspaper you had groundbreaking on Shell Rock processing yeah. facility. The ABCDs of the world, with the exception of Louis Dreyfus, are all expanding their facilities. You've got some privates coming into the space now. We've got four new canola crush plants announced in Saskatchewan. They're all they're all being put up to feed feed this demand. We've exacerbated the problem now with Ukraine and no sunflower oil coming yeah. out there. So it really just creates a very, very bullish case for soybeans in this country that's not gonna go away anytime soon. I mean, this is for your farmers that have lived through ethanol, <laughs> the soybean industry is going through the exact same thing. It's it's different. There's there's some very distinct points. But think of that boom, that's what's happening.
0: Gotcha. Currently. Yeah, no, it is interesting. I mean, I feel like, you know, every couple of weeks, a farmer will call me and be like, hey, have you heard of the newest crush plant that's coming up or or whatever it may be? So um, I'm sure your world is always interesting and ever changing, right? With those new demands coming out. Mm So as we talk about the farmer, right? I work with farmers every single day in an origination role. Um, so I'd like to just talk about, you know, what do you see on the horizon as it comes to grain specifically for animal nutrition? You know, you mentioned uh, a customer asked, like, does this mean I have to plant beans on beans on beans, <laughs> right? That's probably a wild card.
1: So a couple things for our, our farmers. So I mean, demands can continue to be strong. The one thing I would say is for the Iowa farmer. That ground is designed to grow corn and beans, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about sustainable jet fuel, to kind of go back to your other question, there are some crops that the oil from those seeds can go directly into sustainable aviation fuel. Carinata, Camelina. So some of these cover crop opportunities that are coming into play okay. is, is definitely something they're going to want to take a look at. And, and I think we'll, we'll certainly explore in the animal nutrition side of things of how we can create those, those programs. Back to the soy question, Constantly changing new crush plants being put up everywhere, depending where your farmers are growing their soybean base flat price and basis are going to do some work, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to, it's going to flip those acres back. That's, that's not changing anytime soon. So if you're a farmer to think about that, what I would recommend is make sure they're prepared to plant more soybeans, handle more soybeans, work with their Landis representative on programs that we have. Um, we're going to see, we will see more demand coming out of our Ralston facility. We're working on some things there to, how do we get more efficiencies out of that plant without pouring an ounce of concrete? We Mm -hmm. get to, if we get to the point of pouring an ounce of concrete and depending where there are, they're, they're absolutely going to be incentivized to grow beans. If you're near one of those crush plants and if you're in that Shell Rock area, that Alta area, you're going to, you're going to see it. Um, I know we send a lot of beans from northern Iowa up to the crush facilities in Mankato. Both those facilities went through, uh, you know, an efficiency revamp, some investment there. So that's not going to change. For us specifically in animal nutrition, what I think is truly exciting for Landis and for our farmers is we can create some opportunities that nobody else can for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked a lot, I'm sure you've talked a lot on this podcast before about the carbon programs, the data side of things. As Landis owning a crush facility, we are one step further downstream than any other cooperative. What that means is we can build programs for the dairy farm, which means we're building programs for the milk processor, which means we're building programs for the consumer packaged goods company. Mm -hmm. That is an exciting, exciting day. And our goal in animal nutrition, because like for us, we have to talk about threats with the massive expansion of crush assets in this country, even though we have a differentiated meal product and, and we do, and that's a great spot to be, it's going to drop the, the price of soybean meal. It, it's, it's just, it just is, that's just basic supply and demand. So we need to look for further differentiation. When I talk to my team, when I talk to people in the industry, when I talk about how we position ourselves, there's one word that comes to mind every day. Differentiation, differentiation, differentiation. We've done that previously and we need to do it again. And it's all about leveraging all of Landis. So what does that mean? Well, number one, I get questions from the consumer packaged goods companies, from the milk processing companies. Our dairy farmers are under attack might be a strong word. They probably feel that way, but there's questions being asked in the industry of where does my food come from? Yeah, and the dairy farmer has done, the, the larger farmer, the advanced farmer, he's done some things already, or she, uh, putting up a manure digester and selling the methane back to the grid. That's step one. They've done cow care practices. They've done um, labor is another big thing, revamping the system there. The next thing is the feed ingredients. How are you growing your ingredients? Where are you getting them from? What's yeah. the story behind them? What that means for Landis is if we can build a program with our, our data locker, our, our solutions team of the beans that flow into Ralston that have data tied to them, we can then provide a score for that meal that's going out to those farms. It's mm-hmm. something nobody else can do. A hexane facility is too big. They're sourcing from too many different places, too many other co-ops, privates, et cetera. So for us, that's where we're looking to connect is to say, okay, Mr. Milk Processor, we can provide this to your dairy farmers and provide a score with the meal. Yeah. The other thing it opens up to is Landis corn naturally flows to some huge dairy sheds. You think Idaho, you think Texas, you think New Mexico. We can connect Landis corn to that as well and create those programs for, for those dairies down in those, those regions where our corn naturally already flows into to create those sustainability type programs to create traceability is a strong word that's probably a little bit further on the horizon. I think the consumer is going to demand that at some point. Yeah. And I think we need to be positioned to do so and be a leader in that space. but those are those are some of the exciting opportunities so it's really twofold I would say you you have this incredible macro story of soybean demand with renewable fuels, renewable jet fuel but then it also comes back to the question the industry has to solve and I, and I know the land of screen farmer doesn't care nor should they. What are we going to do with all the meal? There's the demand for the oil. We're putting up crushing facilities for the oil today. Yeah. What do we do with all that meal? Does it hit export channels? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to hit export channels. Does raising meat in this country become cheaper and therefore we'll export more meat versus crops? Sure, that's going to happen too. But there's still a glut of meal coming on this market. So for us, we have to solve that differentiation factor. And I also think it provides a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for our growers to maybe Create another vertical outside of the traditional commodity market where you can do some things different that maybe value up your beans a little bit more or or your corn in some instances too that Landis is uniquely positioned to offer.
0: Well, I really love that you brought that up because right, um, we're seeing consumer demand shift, right? Where like they do, they want to go into the grocery store and see who grew that food. And that gets really tricky when you talk about, in my opinion, meat or milk, when there's probably more than one farmer that contributed to that grain. So, you know, I think as a farmer, listening to this podcast, you should be really proud of your you know, local co-op here trying to figure out how we do that ahead of the curve, right? You know, you're hearing Brandon today talk about, you know, this is important to us to eventually get to that point. And I think it's cool. You know, Ralston is one of the, the really the first links in this whole chain, right? Um, and, you know, we need to take it right back to the farmer to to the first link, but then it's on up from there. Um, so Brandon, I just really want to thank you for providing so much insight today. I really hope that some of the insight that you provide Provided today will help our growers and you know, maybe take a step back and realize that soybeans are in high demand. So,
1: no, I appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, the farmers should feel confident. There's going to be home for their beans moving forward, without a question.
0: Gotcha. Well, I definitely have learned a lot about not only our Ralston soy processing plant, but, you know, just the soybean and, and feed demand for soybeans as well. Um, really hope our listeners today have gained insight. And I just want to say this too, like, if you guys have listened to any of these podcasts and and have any questions for us that you'd like answered by, you know, maybe any of our guests, like, let's go ahead and we'll throw up an email um, in our show notes where if you've got questions about some of our guests, um, let's go ahead and, you know, have people submit those. And and maybe, you know, if there is questions, let's go ahead and answer those. But thanks for listening so much to the Grow podcast and be sure that you're subscribing so that you never miss an episode, um, whether it be grain or agronomy. If you ever have been enjoying the content which we sure hope you have been enjoying this content please please go ahead and share this podcast with your family and friends um, but definitely on your social media as well and feel free to tag us feel free to join us next time for our next grain episode